Welcome to You Influence Podcast, where you will hear everything you need to learn how to be a man or woman of influence for the better in your personal and professional life, in business, at work, and in your social life. Becoming a person of positive influence has an invaluable effect in ways we cannot imagine, but can only be felt in personal fulfillment. Welcome back to another episode with Your Influence Podcast. This is your host, Rafael Mavi. I got a great guest today, straight out of Arizona. He's actually not a native Arizona. I still consider him a New Yorker, but he's been doing a lot of great things in Arizona. He, he, he's one of the most influential, I would say, examples that will illustrate to anyone with a dream that no matter what, anything is possible if you just don't give up and don't let your eyes you know, go off the prize and stop focusing on the price. His name is Alan. Uh, do we pronounce your last name? Uh, Kushmakov? That's what you got on your voicemail. That's awesome. Right. And uh, I mean, I've, I've known Alan since uh, probably I was like seven, eight years old. This was back in uh, USSR. Um, I know former his family, USSR. former <laughs> USSR, that's right. And um, his family actually immigrated to US around the same time that we did. And um, he, he's done a lot of great things, tremendous things. And um, he is what you would say a pride and joy of the average immigrant family because there's a lot to learn from his path. He's, a, he's currently a founder of the Alan K Group, which is a realty group um, out of uh, Arizona. Where are you guys at? In Phoenix, Scottsdale? So we're uh, on the outskirts of Phoenix uh, uh, metro uh, area. Um, I live in Peoria, Arizona, and my office is in Glendale, North Glendale. So Peoria's got about 300,000 uh, population and Glendale's and around 400,000 population. So we're probably about uh, 10, 15 minutes away from, from Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, yeah. cool. I don't know if you uh, heard any of the previous episodes of the uh, podcast, but the whole theme uh, behind the podcast is you influence. As an individual, you know, who you are uh, as a result of the influences that we've had growing up. As a, as, a, as a child, uh, from parents, teachers, neighbors, uh, classmates, colleagues, maybe bosses, whoever, right? Which really ultimately forms our decision-making process. Everything that we do, the choices that we make when it comes to money, when it comes to food, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to raising kids, it's ultimately the result of influences that we've had. But I also believe that there comes a time in, hopefully for everybody, uh, where the person realized, you know what, it is time for me to start making influence on others. Now, whether it's a conscious or subconscious decision, ultimately, everyone is an influence. It doesn't matter whether they realize it or not. We end up influencing people around us and circumstances around us, decisions, whether we recognize it or not. Uh, sometimes it's for the good. Sometimes it's for the worse. And uh, based on what I've known about you, based on what I've recently learned about your process, is that you're definitely making an influence in a positive way. So what uh, first question I got for you is um, how was, I know what it was like for me, but what did you experience growing up in, in New York after you guys immigrated? Like, what did you go through? What kind of, were there any struggles or was everything smooth sailing? Um, I think like 
you know, any immigrant family or, or any individual that is moving from one area to another, there are going to be some challenges, right? There are going to be some uh, uphill battles. Uh, us, uh, we, we got to United States. We landed, uh, remember, on a Christmas day of 1990. Um, and, um, we were picked up by um, our family friends and um, we got to my uh, dad's um, aunt's house and she had a one bedroom apartment right off 108th and uh, 64th. And she is a 75 year old woman and uh, I'm 12 years old. My, my sister's 11 and uh, my brother was six um, going into seven. And uh, for us, honestly, it was a, it was a culture shock. Like, you know, uh, coming from a small town, when we're, you know, growing up, um, uh, coming to New York and, um, you know, uh, going to school. I remember went to school after a couple of days. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a challenge, but at the same time it was very exciting. It was an exciting time to start a new, a new chapter in, in my life. And, um, um, you know, seeing things and, and, and learning new things and, and, and getting, um, obviously new friendships, uh, established, that was something that, um, uh, was, you know, um, exciting at the same time, very, very challenging because, you know, we, we came to this country with no knowledge of, of English language, you know, and, um, I think that was the biggest thing. It was the fact that we didn't speak any English and trying to adapt to American way of, of, of living and, and talking and, and, and dealing with things, um, that just took a little bit longer than I anticipated that I thought. And there were days when I was questioning the whole thing. I mean, I was 12 years old and you know, during that time, the kids can be cruel, can be tough. Right. I did not dress like most of the kids. I did not talk like most of the kids. We didn't have any money. Right. Um, you know, and then of course, you know, seeing your parents going through struggles, um, you know, going through difficult situations, um, again, uh, financially and, um, trying to find a place to live and, um, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an eye opening experience, but it's something that I think that was very important in my life because it, it really kind of helped me to shape my, my future. Right. Because when you're kind of at the bottom, if you will, um, you know, there's no way to go below that. And for me, it was like, all right, cool. Um, you know what? I gotta, I gotta adapt. I gotta get better. I got to learn language. I, I remember my first job was literally like about two weeks into this country. My first job, I was um, handing out flyers uh, outside of, remember that, that, that shopping center, Alexander's on Queens Boulevard in six, it was a 62nd, right? That's right. So I, I, I contacted this lady and she was like a reader, like a, I was a tarot card readers, right? And uh, she's like, look, I need to advertise my business and this and that. I need a person who's going to give out flyers outside of the shopping center. And I said, sure, no problem. I'll do it. But I just have to do it after school. She's like, all right, cool. She's like, I pay you a dollar, dollar, dollar 25 per hour. I was like, no, you know what? My going rate is $1.50. So I was negotiating that. <laughs> my going rate, not knowing, I think the, the minimum wage was like about $3.75 or $4, right? But for me, as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid, I mean, $1.50 an hour, that was a lot of money, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, growing up and, uh, you know, going to work afterwards for a dollar 50 an hour, I would spend two, three, four hours sending out flyers, make that money and then bring that money uh, back home for my parents. 
So that was my, my first job. And since then, by the way, I always worked. Like always had a, either a part-time or a full-time job. I don't think I ever had a situation where I did not have a freaking job or a business. So that was my background. That's the story. <laughs> yeah, very, very similar, man. And that definitely shapes you. It, yeah. it, it gives you that hustle mentality. All right. It does, so, man. It's, 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 look, I mean, you know, it was not easy. And you're, you're trying to help. You're too young maybe to help. Like I was 12 years old going, going to 13, right? And, you know, I saw my mother, for example, trying to work three jobs, right? I mean, she had a, a daycare. She had, was working for, uh, as a home attendant for assisted living facility. I mean, she was, she was working. I mean, my dad, you know, you know, my dad's past, you know, he was a very successful man, um, back in an old country. And then, you know, when, when you cannot translate that success in, in this country, at least initially, right. It was very difficult for him, uh, psychologically, financially, uh, especially psychologically, it was very difficult for him. And to see my dad, uh, in agony and to see my mom constantly stressing about the finances, you know, um, it was, again, it was, it was tough. It was tough, but you know what? They took care of us. And I don't think we ever had a situation where we're like starving or, or didn't have a roof over our heads. And, um, I think for me, that was the biggest thing that would, when it comes to the parents is at the end of the day, they were there to support us, to nurture us, to help us and really almost kind of, um, you know, defend us against all of the obstacles that were heading their way. We were protected by, by their support and their nurturing. Yeah, for sure. And by, by the way, that um, job that you had handing out flyers, did you get paid on that? Yeah, I did. You did? All right. Because yeah. I, I remember I was doing the flyers all over the uh, Manhattan, 40 blocks going uptown and then across the street going 40 blocks back. And yeah. it was it was supposed to be a two dollar an hour job. I think I was thirteen at that point already. Uh, I spoke a little bit of English. And it was for a moving company. Yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, the owner of that moving company lived like literally a few blocks away from where you guys were. And okay. I came back to get paid, and she's like, "You didn't do it." I'm like, "What do you mean? What didn't do it?" She's like, "You didn't do the job." She's like, "I had somebody follow you." I'm like, "Well, you better talk to them because I know I did it. I wasn't the only one." You know, yeah. we, we, it were two of us covering two different uh, streets and we didn't get paid for two full days, 80 blocks a day. So that's 109, 100, what is it, 160 blocks of walking, putting out flyers and wrapping it around poles and like 13 old kids with nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah um, it was yeah. a whole bunch of stuff like that. Cause, but I did work since uh, I was 12, a week or two into, you know, getting to this uh, country, carrying bags you know, for shoppers coming out of uh, a wall balance to the store. I mean, I remember yeah. did it all. Didn't matter because like you said, you, you saw what was going on, the reality of things, you know, it was like, it, it was an, it was intuitive decision. Like nobody told us go and work, go make money. For me, it was definitely intuitive. It was like, okay, it has to be done. Yeah. It has to be done. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we really didn't have a choice, right? I mean, if we wanted to dress up a certain way, if we wanted to buy, uh, you know, shoes or sneakers or jeans or, or, or t-shirts, whatever it is, our parents didn't have any money, right? We didn't have any money. So right. it was either going and getting a job and then buying those things yourself, or you're going to be wearing, you know, you know, Russian made clothes and 
<laughs> that, that everybody made fun of. <laughs> right, exactly. So it was it was just going there and again, just just working on just just working. Uh, whether it's two hours, three hours a day, whatever, you know, that was available. We we just went out there and and made it happen. That's so it. so what made you move to Arizona? Um. <laughs> What was the, listen? Everybody I goes through like, this. I, everybody I, goes through this, right? I, I get yeah. I get that question asked like you know I don't know at least once every three or four months, and especially when I'm in New York, right? So, like my entire wife's family, you know, you know them very well. They all live, you know, in New York, you know, Fresh Meadows, Queens, and everything like that, right? And every time they would ask, so what made you move to to Arizona, right? And honestly speaking, for me, it was just a change of scenery. I wanted something different. Like I worked uh, during that time, I was in a city. I mean, I was working in a city two blocks away from what used to be the World Trade Center, right? So I was in technology consulting and then technology sales uh, for Popkin Software. And I was on a road pretty much every week, every other week I was flying. And, you know, I got married in 2000. So, you know, my wife was working in the city as well, in Midtown for American Express. So... That hustle and bustle for me, honestly, you know, at first it was exciting. It was great, you know, making good money, um, you know, new experiences, getting to know people, right? It was awesome. But after a certain period of time, especially after what happened during the uh, 9-11, right, uh, I started reflecting. I started thinking about the future. I started thinking about the family. I started thinking about, you know, is this what I really want in my life? And what I mean by that is, Spending a lot of my time in the subway, uh, spending a lot of my time in the airports, in the hotels. And the answer was always coming back and saying, no, that's not really what I want. That's not who I am. I believe there's something else out there. And especially me being on a road, I was able to see other cities, other states around the country, right? And yes, there are other cities in other states, right? And yes, there are cars and there are buildings and there are people, right? And their restaurants, right? All of those things I was able to see. I was like, you know, there's more to it than New York City. There's more to it than getting myself into the subway cart every single day, right? There's more to it with all the hustle and bustle, all these people and everything like that. And don't get me wrong, I love New York City. And like we go there three, four times a year and my wife's family is there. My family used to live there. Everything's great. But for me, I felt like this was a much better place for me to live, to grow personally, um, uh, professionally, and to raise a family. And Arizona was a natural fit because, um, you know, my, my cousin used to live here, and she still lives here, by the way. My other cousins were planning to actually move here. Uh, this was one of my territories, so I used to come here all the time, so I was pretty familiar with it. And I just said it was just a natural transition for me. That's it. And that was... Back in 2003, so how many years is that? That's that, 16? 16. Almost 16 years, yeah. yeah. So, wait, 2003. So, you, you started reflecting on where you're going to spend the rest of your life, and you were, correct me if I'm wrong, 21, 22 years old? You already started no. thinking like that. So, so uh, I'm 41 minus 16, what is it? 25? Yeah, but you started, you said you started thinking like oh, that after 9-11. 22, 23 years old. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Look, I mean, yeah, I mean, I started working in corporate America when I was like 19, 20 years old. 
right? So for me, like, like at first I was working in, in Port Washington, Long Island, and I really liked that place, but the pay was not that great. And I had a great opportunity to work in New York City, right? Um, but for me, again, it was all about really just, you know, look, I grew up pretty fast. I mean, I got married when I was 22 years old. My wife was 19. So like I had my first apartment when I was 22 years old, right? And that's an extra responsibility is being married, right? My wife was still going to school. So I had to grow up pretty quickly. And, and I think for my age, honestly speaking, I, I would just, again, I was reflecting. I was, I think maybe, you know, somewhat mature beyond my years. But I also, the reason being is because I was exposed to a lot of this when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. I was exposed to people that in their 30s, right? Mentors, influencers, people that are thinking differently, right? I was exposed to, for example, uh, chief technology officers and VPs of big companies when I was 22, 23 years old, right? So, so for me, I was not really thinking like a 19 or 20, 21, 22 year old. I was thinking more like a 30, 35, 40 year old at that age. Because you were surrounded by people like that. I was surrounded by those people. Now, that was never, that was not the case, by the way. Before age 18, I was surrounded with some, some people that were just questionable in nature. You know, um, from age 15, 16 to about 18, I was hanging out with people, to be honest with you. If I decided to go with that path, all right, and follow that path, I would probably be somewhere else right now. You know, but something clicked inside and there was a fork on the road. Do I go and follow their path or do I follow my path and do something with myself? And I decided to go with the path, the right path. That's it. That's cool. You made your own way. Yep. That's great, man. So, um, let me ask you this, because um, when you did you have a plan when you relocated, or did, did you was your mindset still of being an employee working in corporate America or doing something on your own? Um, so my mindset was when I relocated, I was still with the same company, right, with the Popkin software, right, with the same company, and the, my wife was under uh, understanding with her company. Uh, and she was working for American Express Tax and Businesses Division, that there's going to be a position for her available in Phoenix. So what happened is when we moved here, and I remember uh, very vividly, it was May 1st, 2003, and we stepped out of the airport, and it was 105 degrees outside. <laughs> <laughs> So imagine that, right? So funny thing is, I've been to Arizona like four or five times before and never during the summer months. Like it was always during the winter months, right? And it's like amazing. It's beautiful. You know, it's 65, 70 degrees. You know, the birds are chirping. I mean, it's just, it just it's, it's gorgeous, right? And then we land and it's May 1st. And I mean, you would think May 1st in New York, May 1st is like 75 degrees, right? Right. We land and it's 105 degrees outside. And my wife looked at me like cross-eyed. She's like, what the fuck were you thinking? And that's not even summertime. <laughs> it's not even summertime, right? She's like, what are you thinking? And I was like, all right, don't worry about it. It's probably one of those crazy days, right? <laughs> but deep down, it's like, like, oh my God, this is freaking hot. And we get in the cab and the freaking cab, um, no AC. I mean, he's got an AC for him. Not for us. It doesn't travel. 
<laughs> and we got to drive for half an hour from the airport to our apartment, right? And then we were supposed to uh, pick up our car. Our car was supposed to be delivered. We shipped it. And the guy is like calling us like, hey, you know what? I'm stuck in New Mexico. I'm not going to be there until tomorrow. I was like, dude, I mean, it's like, I'm like, we need a car. It's like, I'm sorry, but I can't do anything about it. And, you know, Uber was not, was not, <laughs> right. was not available then. Um, so we got into an apartment and I remember like, you've been in Phoenix before, right? Um, right. Like nobody here really walks to the stores. Right. Like right now they're having all these shopping centers where you got condos on top and they're shopping downstairs and everything like that. Like kind of like New York city style. Right. But at that time it was like, there was a, there was like a, uh, an apartment building. And then you got to walk across the street for about uh, half a mile to go to the store. So we had to buy stuff. We had to buy food. Right. So I remember walking or slipping right to the store with my wife and going there was okay. It's 105 degrees. Coming back with a bunch of bags, right? <laughs> I was sweating my ass, I tell you. And then on top of it, people were looking at us like we're like homeless people, you know, like what are these people doing with a bunch of bags walking around? Because nobody here walks. Everybody freaking drives. You know, so that was that was kinda interesting. And that was just the two of you at that time, right? You didn't have any other family that relocated with you at that moment. Yeah, I mean it was just two of us, right? And I was thinking I'm gonna continue um working for the company, right? And I was making good money. And uh, the hope was for my wife obviously get this job. And and <laughs> and we're like, yeah, let's let's do this. I mean it's great. Um we rented an apartment and we're actually building a house. So we put down money on the on the house. It was already being built. It was supposed to be complete like two, three, four months before afterwards um and um i get a news from my company that um you know they are no longer in need of my services um so <laughs> what yeah yeah and then uh to top it off my wife uh that job that they promised her they're like i'm sorry but we don't have the job available like like we don't right so both of us are unemployed we're an apartment and we're about to close on our house, you know, so, imagine so what, what, what year was this? 2003, four, 2003, 2003, 2003. So, um, so that was that, I mean, so I was like, all right, cool. You know, let me uh, go find another job. No big deal. You know, I got all this experience, you know, coming from New York, making all this money, all this knowledge of 25 years old. So I would go out there in an interview and come to find out a lot of these jobs were like, very low base pay, uh, all commission, um, not something that I was excited about. And then on top of it, it's like, do I really want to continue doing what, 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 what I was doing in the last four or five years, right? Do I really want to immerse myself more into technology, right? That's not really who I am. That's not what I really want to do, right? So... I remember um, it was maybe June or July, my sister, um, you know, my sister with my brother-in-law um, also moved. So they followed us. And my brother-in-law started working for a limo company. And uh, after about a month or so, he's like, you know, Alan, wh why don't we maybe start our own limo business? And I was like, limo business? Like, like, first of all, A, I never ran a business. And B, like, I don't know anything about limos, right? Like. I don't want to be driving people like that's not like I, I made close to $200,000 uh, 
a year before. <laughs> I'm not going to be driving freaking limos. No, he's like, you're good at, at, at like talking to people, you know, business dev, account management. You're going to be running the, the office and everything like that. And I'm going to be handling the cars and I'm going to be driving and everything like that. So at that time, it sounded awesome. Like, I'm going to be a business owner. And I'm going to have a bunch of limos. And I'm going to be sitting, collecting all this money. You know, you have this vision of, of a business owner. Like, people are going to be, like, working for you. A bunch of minions running around and, <laughs> and giving you coffee and all of that shit, right? Because that's how a lot of entrepreneurs think, right? They think everything's going to be instant. Everything's going to be like this, right? So I said, all right, fuck it. I mean, I have nothing to lose. So we got two cars. And, 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 and guess what? That first year, and actually, in fact, the next three years, on average, I was working anywhere between 17 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Sounds familiar. Right? So I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to it, right? But it was nonstop. It was nonstop because in this business, I, I came to realize pretty quickly it's, it's, it's almost 24 seven, right? So I remember, um, getting two or three hotel contracts and, and they would have business travelers that would need to be picked up from the airport, which is kind of cool and everything like that. But the same people would be leaving the next day, starting at around four o'clock, 435 AM. So I need it because I being a dispatcher, right? Running the office, I needed to make sure that I have the coverage. I would have the drivers there at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. Right. Imagine that. See so, what I what I didn't know is that you actually launched a company because I remember having a conversation with you when I was in Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, you guys were looking for VCs because you had that vision of launching the limo of the, like the Uber of the Uber. limo. Right, the Uber. This yep. was way before Uber. Okay? That was, but the idea was to make it like Uber for limos. Years. Yep, yep, yep. That was that was a year, year and a half before the Uber. Two years before Uber, and we can kind of talk about that story as well. It's kind of interesting, you know, timing, right, and luck. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was it was it was pure like work, eighteen hours a day. And I remember at night, at around eleven or twelve o'clock at night they would call us to make reservations for the next morning. And again, I'm answering the phones. I'm making sure that the uh, drivers uh, get all the information that they're going to be there on the spot at 3.30 4 o'clock in the morning. And Rafael, this is nonstop seven days a week. Seven days a week, right? So the good thing is we're growing. We're growing. We had over 20 cars by uh, year 2007. We had 23 or 24 cars. Um, I did pretty well in terms of revenue. We had a bunch of drivers, staff, and everything like that. The bad thing, I mean, it literally, like, for three years, it was hell. It was complete hell, right? And, and I learned a lot during that three-year period. And I learned that nothing happens fast, nothing happens quick. I also learned how to, uh, obviously... Uh, deal with not only clients and manage their expectations, but also more importantly, deal with the employees, right? And set the expectations, right? Uh, management piece of it was the most difficult, especially it wasn't just managing employees, if you will. I also had my, my, my business partner, who's my brother-in-law. That's a family member. My dad was working for us as well. That's my dad. At one point, my brother was working for us, right? And then my cousin was also working for us in addition to all the other employees. 
So imagine not only dealing with them, with their sometimes inefficiencies, but also their personalities and then the family. I mean, it was a clusterfuck for like about four or five years, I tell you. I remember some of these family dinners. Man, I would just, I was supposed to have like, like, like recording devices, like videos. We do like a reality show. So I got, two, I got two questions while you touched on this yeah. right now, because this is what's going through my head. Again, I wanted to bring you on board as a guest because I know there's value in your story. So listeners, listening to this, like people pick up different stuff from different guests, right? Um, I know what I went through 17, 18, 19 hour days, seven days a week, not seeing my kids, not seeing my wife. It was, if, if hell on earth existed, then that probably was it because I also health wise, right. I dropped 30 pounds, close to 30 pounds of when people would see me, uh, miraculously, they, they thought that I was sick. I did opposite. You know? I, get, I gained 30 pounds. <laughs> you gained 30 pounds. Yeah. So stress made me lose a lot of weight. You know, I was walking around with my big nose, cheeks caved in and people thought I was sick. They thought I was dying, literally. And I understand the stress. A lot of people that are wanting to do this and when it comes to family, this is what I wanted to ask you. Two questions. Number one, working with immediate family is challenging right. for, the, for the most part. And then you also said for three years, you did that seven days a week. You were married, still are married. So for someone yeah. listening to this, whether they are a spouse supporting their spouse going through this, or they're the ones that are making a decision to get through this process to get to the end result, whatever it may be for them. Is it worth it? How is it like ha- keeping a family happy or at least having them uh, be uh, the support that you need? And is it worth it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think look, the, the second thing is uh, having a supporting spouse, I think, is the most important thing um, in, in, in your um, business entrepreneurship uh, endeavor, if you will, right? If you do not have a supporting spouse with so many obstacles and challenges and hurdles that you have to go through on a daily basis as an entrepreneur, you know, your success chances are very, very, very slim. Okay. You got to have a supporting spouse, right? For me, look, I mean, I'm blessed. I got, we've been married for, it's going to be 20 years next year right? So 20 years, we know each other for 22, 23 years, right? And we went through a lot of ups and we went through a lot of downs, if you will, right? Um, during that period of time, obviously we we're young. She was, you know, she was working and I'm working and she understood where I was coming from. Um, we didn't have the kids at that period of time. So that was a little bit easier, if you will, uh, less responsibilities, you know, but I remember the times when, you know, it actually, in my opinion, that actually makes yeah. it more difficult because for what I see and have seen with others, even with myself, when, you, when a couple is going through a struggle, it is yeah. easier for them to go their separate ways when there are no kids because it's less commitment. When there yeah. are kids, a lot of couples find their kids as the anchors to hold them down for, quote unquote, if you will, yeah. the reason to stick around, right? So yeah. that actually yeah. made it worse for you because you didn't have kids at that time. Yeah, uh, yeah, but but again, it never really again crossed my mind, and I hope it didn't cross her mind, right? Um, you know, and we were into this thing together, 
And obviously, like in the first two years, luckily she was working. And there are days or there are months where, especially during the summer months when it's an off season here in Phoenix, right? The business slows down, slows down considerably. So during the summer months, there were months where she was scaring the household financially, right? So, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, supporting spouse is very important and for us we always had that understanding she always you know had a belief in what i was trying to do and i always was able to communicate my plans my vision um uh, to her so this way we're kind of know you know we're on the same page right um i would always share things with her it was never like okay i'm gonna do it this i'm gonna do that and that's pretty much it we always had a conversation about it Right now, were the moments where we were not on the same page? Absolutely. That's pretty much what every relationship. But, you know, she always respected me. She always respected, you know, my thought process, um, you know, and, and I always respected, you know, what she was thinking about it. And at the end of the day, it's got to be a mutual respect. Right. Even when we went through hardships financially, right, at, during the 2008, between 2008 and 2010, I was bankrupt. I was bankrupt. You know, it was one of the most difficult moments probably in my life. You know, I was at the bottom. You know, everything physically, uh, mentally, financially, my business was was about quarter what it was before 2008. Um, I owed a lot of money to the creditors. I overextended myself uh, with real estate investments. Um, I had five rental properties, all of them except one went to bank foreclosure. Um, my primary residence, I lost as well to a foreclosure. So essentially we were homeless, if you will. And this is all during the period of time where obviously the economy is in a toilet. Um, you know, we had our first child and my wife is pregnant with our second, Zach. And we're scrambling, finding, trying to find a rental during that period of time. And at the same time, my business is down. Half of my cars are repoed. The, more than other half of those cars we sold to pay off the debt. My business partner, my brother-in-law comes to my office and says, you know what? I'm done with this shit. I, uh, we're moving back to, to New York. I was like, what do you mean you're moving back to New York? Like, dude, we've got so much stuff going out here. Like, you know, we're laying off people and he's like, no, I cannot, I cannot do this. I cannot take this. So they leave, they move back to New York. My brother also leaves. And then my parents say, you know what? This is not for us. We're going back to New York. So everybody decided to move back to New York. And uh, I'm here trying to figure shit out. So during that period of time, again, financially, stressful, physically, like I said, I gained so much weight, um, you know, and, and um, all of those things combined, you know, she never once, and that's the point I'm trying to make, is she never once doubted me. She never once questioned me. And she never once said, you know what? Don't do this. Go find yourself a full-time job. Become another, basically, a working bee. Um, she never did that. 
right? So, and, and, and that's special, right? This is, it's, 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 it's different because you hear all these stories about people not getting along or people separating or divorcing, God forbid, because of finances, lack of finances, right? Because of mistrust, miscommunication, right? Because they experienced a hurdle or a challenge in their life, right? In our situation, our challenges were huge. But you, huge. Know, you, know, you know what that says about you, right? What? You were a great salesman. You sold her very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it started with me. It, listen, at, other than yourself, right? First, you have to sell yourself. The second most important person you have to sell if you're with somebody is your significant other. Right. You can't sell your significant other. You might as well get out of the industry. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you. but Because um, it goes know. back to support. You need that companion. You, it's not, it's not a one-person show. I, I don't know how I would do it without her. And honestly, without her support, um, you know, I would probably fold it a long time ago. Seriously, like no joke, right? There were days where I was questioning everything. Like you've been an entrepreneur for quite some time. Business owner, there are days when you're questioning everything. Even right now, there are days when I'm like, shit, is this all worth it? Right? And people can look at from the outside saying, oh my God, this guy's got this, got this, this, that, that. But you know what? We all experience challenges and we all experience self-doubt. We all question ourselves constantly, or at least I am. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not you. Of course. But I constantly question myself. And we also constantly compare ourselves to other people, right? Especially with the proliferation of social media platforms out there, everybody's showing their best side, right? And it makes it difficult. For us, especially entrepreneurs that every day are in the grind, every day trying to do something and make something out of nothing, right? But um, yeah, I mean, look, support, going back to your question, I know what kind of went on a little tangent and everything like that, but support, um, um, spousal support, support, family support, super important, super important. And there's no way I could have done it without, without them. Did it? Did uh? Did your business since you had your dad and your family members working with you, and since the market crashed all the way around, like with retail, with housing, and everything, did it put a strain on the relationship in your family? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Again, family business. So, so there are two sides of it. Um, the great side is the fact that it's family. You can trust them, right? Well, for the most part, you can you you, you can trust them. Not every, but but my family, I could trust them. Right. I could right. trust my brother-in-law. I could trust my brother, my, my sister, my, my dad, right. My dad, I remember waking up, he was waking up at two, two thirty in the morning to go to work at his age, just to support us. Like, especially in early stages of our business growth. Right. And I would never forget that the guy didn't speak any English, didn't really know the roads, but somehow he would be there on time to pick up the client and take him to the airport. Right. So a lot of respect to my dad, you know, and, and also to my brother-in-law as well. But the second part of it, of course, is the fact that, look, we as business owners, we want to make things more efficient, more productive, flow better, right? And when you try to make those efficiencies happen, when you try to make people more productive, when you manage people, right, lead people, not everybody want to be led. Not everybody wants to be managed, and especially when it comes to your immediate family, 
And especially when you have a dad son relationship, right? You have to kind of, especially in our culture, you got to, it's a very, very delicate balance. Yep. Right. And me with my personality, you know, I mean, it's not easy. I don't have an easy personality. Right. And, um, you know, for me at the beginning stages, it was tough. It was tough because we constantly would butt heads like, 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 you know, but eventually I realized, look, at the end of the day, he's my dad. He's my creator. He created me. Right. So I want to make sure that, you know, we do not ruin our relationship because of this business, because of this job. And, um, you know, at the end, I think it taught me a lesson again, how to work with different individuals, with different people, because at the end of the day, this is what business is all about, especially if you're going to be surrounding yourself with employees, right? Um, you got to be able to adapt and work with every personality type. It's not just, Hey, it's my way, my way, my way. This is how my style is. You got to be very adaptable, very adaptable. Otherwise, you're going to have a, a revolving door policy, a huge turnover. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when I got into real estate, this was back in 2005 and uh, 2004, actually. And I only lasted there for about two and a half years, uh, quickly went through my you know, agency and then became a broker owner with a franchise. Uh, but it was short lived. And I got out about six months before the market collapsed. Right. I didn't know. It just happened that way. But right. what, what the most fortunate part of my experience with real estate was the exposure to the disc formula, the personality types. Yeah. You know, and that evolved. After that, I became a great student, started studying different types of approaches, but the same formula. And recently I came across information called, because um, the disc formula is based on psychological behaviors. This one, what I just uh, found is based on biological behaviors. It's the bank code. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I just literally heard about it two weeks ago. And uh, the book is called Why They Buy why they buy. I heard a lot of great things on it about it and I just ordered it last week, actually uh, two days ago. Yeah. I I'm heard about bank code. I never, I never use bank code. Um, it is a pricey product. Um, we use here internally in a company, we use uh, Tony Robbins disc. Yeah. Uh, that's what we use. It's free of charge. Um, but you know, we look for so much more than that, right? I mean, you can, you can have an adaptable personality. You can have a real personality, right? Um, we go through several interviews with our employees and even our agents, um, you know, and we look for patterns. we look for patterns. So we're not looking, uh, if you will, for like potential. Potential is a very tricky word. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> it's, a danger, hiring, it's a dangerous word. <laughs> it's a very dangerous word. And I made a lot of mistakes in hiring agents and hiring staff where, you know, I was betting on potential. I was, assuming and hoping that they got they got the heart right to go out there and, and kill it right um figuratively um but now we're, we're looking at patterns we're looking at everything right and seeing if they're ascending in their careers or they're descending in their careers that's a big one if they're team players if they're committed if they're coachable right all of those things are very, you know, those are things that are super, super critical for us right now in analyzing a person that is looking to join our team, right? So it's DISC, definitely all of my staff and all of my agents, they all take DISC. In fact, before we meet with you, we require you to take DISC, right? That's awesome. Um, 
I ideally would love to have all of my seller and buyer leads take a freaking disk test, you know, before we meet with them, right? Because this way you know how to approach them, right? So, so, but I'm very fascinated with it and we can talk about it and expand on it more if you want to. Yeah, I, de I definitely want to, but I also know we are, we have limited time here because I know you, you have to go as well, but I do want to ask you one thing because I'm sure I'm not the only one uh, wondering about is people that do go through uh, struggles, whether it's based on economical and as a side effect or oftentimes, you know, it's an economy that you have inside of your house, regardless of what the economy is actually doing. You know, so how did you bounce back from everything that you went through? Was it a quick yeah. fix? Was, did you tap into a, a niche or did you kind of uh, crawl your way back? I pretty much crawled myself out of this thing, right? So like when we were going through financial downturn, right? 2007, 2008, 2009, um, hardship wise. I honestly speaking, Raphael, I had a choice of going to a corporate world. Like I really wanted to just basically burn my ship, like burn my company down and say, you know what? Like I'm out, like I'm going to go work for a company. I'll make my 40, 50, 60,000 a year, work from nine to five, five days a week and then play golf on the weekends. But that's not me. And I didn't want to give up. I put in so much time and effort and sweat, right? And resources. I said, you know what? I gotta, I gotta do this. So what I did is I started reaching out to these big transportation companies up up in boston and new jersey new york that were actually uh looking for affiliates here in phoenix market so i contacted them i actually flew out there and met with all of them and they said to me at first look look alan we have our primary transportation company already set here but we can use you as a secondary company or a third company for overflow of work and i said no problem whatever you give me i'll be more than happy to handle so I had two cars, maybe three cars left out of 24. And literally within a year, about 90% of our business shifted from retail, which were limos, party buses and everything like that, to corporate travel, right? Corporate events, hourly work show, uh, road shows, uh, airport pickups, group transportation, all of that. That was pretty much then my niche until 2012, right? But it was, it was hard because I was doing everything. I was driving, I was managing, I was doing account development. It was back to square one when I was in 2004 and 2005. But your business partner was out of the picture at this moment already. Completely. Completely out of the picture. Right? So for me, 2012 was like, all right, you know, I can build this company again where it was before 2007 and probably even more because of all the knowledge and experience I accumulated. But deep down inside, I felt like, you know what, I gave it all. Deep down inside, I was not excited anymore. Deep down inside for me, it was, all right, it's just a transportation business. And when you stop being excited, when you stop being like, you know, like, like getting up in the morning and saying, shit, I cannot wait to go to work. I really want to get this thing going. It's time for you to consider a change, I think. Like, if there's a day when I stop thinking about real estate and how to help clients and how to help agents i'm done right so for me i said you know what i got to do something else so i spoke to a couple of real estate agents real estate was always kind of something that i wanted to do but i never really truly understand the scope of it right 
you know, there is a saying, oh, there's so many realtors out there. Everybody's a realtor. Everybody this, everybody that, but everybody, most of them are starving. They're not doing that well. And that's the reality, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Over 80% of real estate agents, brand new agents do not renew their licenses up for two years. That's a fact. The average production per agent per year nationwide is about four, maybe five deals. Here in the Valley, it's four deals. The average commission here is a little bit over $6,000. So you do the math, it's less than $25,000 a year. Can you really survive on that? That's, that's nuts. Right, exactly. So when people were telling me this, like, like I don't know, are you sure about this? I was like, yeah, man, I don't know. I really want to do real estate. And then I reached out to a guy who actually short sold one of my rental properties, Kevin Kaufman, Group 4610. And I said, look, Kevin, you got a team. And at that time, they were specializing short sales. So I was like, I need help. I want to get into the real estate. The people that I'm talking to, they're just giving me like, I don't know. I think they're giving me bad advice. He's like, yeah, no problem. Let's grab a coffee. So we had a coffee and he's like, look, Alan, if you're going to treat this like a business, if you're going to fully commit to this, okay, you should be able to crush it. So I listened to him. The next day I signed up for real estate school. In a month and a half, I got my license and I signed up with his brokerage. Right. And that was in 2013. So I signed up thinking, shit, you know what? From day one, I'm going to slay it. Guess what? <laughs> my first commission check came not until I think, uh, so I started in, in January, not until like May or June. So I was <laughs> without making money for about four and a half, five months. And to be honest with you, in the first two months, I was questioning the whole thing. I was getting very, very, um, what's the word that I want to use? Um, you don't want to discouraged. use <laughs> discouraged, if you will. There are other words that I want to use very discouraged um, about the fact that, you know what, this business is not for me because think about it. I got into this business without really having a big network, without having a big sphere, right? The people that are actually in my sphere, none of them can buy a house or sell a house at this point. And, and, at, that, and at that time, the market didn't really start picking up yet in Arizona. It was already picking up. Like was 2012 it? was already picking up, but still a lot of people were upside down. Right. There was a lot of investor activity. There are a lot of investors buying homes. Hedge funds were buying homes. But again, for me, I'm a brand new agent. So what I did from day one, I was like, all right, I got to get business. Where do I get business? Okay. Um, I see all these expired listings. I see all of these canceled listings. I see all of these for sale by owners. Let me start calling them. So I would buy a data every day. I would get a brand new data with expired listings, canceled listings. I bought uh, a dialer, an auto dialer called Mojo. And every single day for three, four, five, six hours a day, or sometimes even 10 hours a day, I would be on the phone, pounding the phone and calling the sellers. Wow. That's what I did. And guess what? I didn't know what I was saying. You didn't you have know, a script? They didn't give you a script? I had a bunch, I, I, I bunch of scripts. I had a bunch of scripts. But you know what? Those scripts, honestly, unless you really learn them, memorize them, and internalize them, and make it your own, yep. those scripts are becoming basically you, you're like scripted. And people will catch your shit in a second. Of course. Absolutely. You see? So I did not really understand that, number one. Number two, brand new. I'm just trying to make calls. I'm just trying to talk to people. And when I would actually get in front of the seller, 
guess what? With my lack of experience being a brand new agent, presentation deck, nothing. <laughs> I remember one of them said, so how long have you been in a business? I was like, uh, I don't know, like a month and a half. And how many homes have you sold? Uh, I'm just starting out. Like, hold on a second. My house has been in the market for a year with two agents with a cumulative experience of 24 years. It's a half a million dollar property. And you, with your month and a half of experience with zero home sales, going to sell my house? I was like, yeah. He's like, all right, well, I appreciate your, uh, your ambition. But you know what? Don't call us. We'll call you, essentially. <laughs> so after two months, Rafael, after two months, it was like, man, I got to start looking for a part-time job. This is crazy. And that's what happens with a lot of agents. They think they can get into this business and they can start generating revenue. And sometimes they get lucky. They have a friend, they got a family member, they got a neighbor, they got someone who probably says, hey, you know what? Yeah, I want to list my house. I want to buy a house. That's great. But what's after that? After that, you got to work in the business. Yep. And in any business, it's all about what? Client acquisition. It's all about lead generation. It's all about being in front of as many people as possible, ideally meeting with those people and getting their business. So for me, it was, all right, what is the lowest hanging fruit? Expired, cancel listings for sale by owners. They all want to sell or wanted to sell. Let me start calling them and get in front of them. So my first commission check was, I think, in my fifth month in business. But by the end of the year, I sold 16 homes. 16 homes that year. And that year, by so the for way. For the first six months, you sold one. In the following six month, months, mm -hmm. you sold 16. And not only that, there were other stuff that was going on with me. Like physically, I was, was, I was diagnosed with, the, with, the, with a chronic condition. My dad had colon cancer. So I was flying to New York during that period of time. And um, honestly, I was probably like at about 70% capacity physically. And probably 60% capacity mentally during that period of time. So it was a, that year was a very tough year, you know, and, and um, I felt like I left a lot of money on the table that year because I didn't know what I was doing. I did not join the team, which was a big mistake. I didn't really have a mentor. Okay. What, what do you mean you didn't join the team? What team? Well, I mean, there are teams in the real estate and brokerages, there are teams. Oh, I see. Okay. Like, so there are teams, for example, that can help you with, with lead generation. They can help you with training and coaching. They can help you with support. But right? you, were fly, you were flying solo. Uh, I was flying solo. I was flying solo because I didn't really know there were that many teams. And at that time, in 2003, in all fairness, there aren't that many teams, right? The ones that were available, they're like focusing primarily for, on short sales or foreclosures. So for me, I was flying solo. And I think that was a mistake because honestly speaking, if I would join a team, I would probably learn more in that first year. And faster. Right? And faster. So, but I felt like I lost, left a lot of money on the table, but it did not, I did not stop there. And that's another thing. I think a lot of people in general, when something is going their way, when they start seeing results, for some reason they become complacent, they become relaxed, and they stop doing the work that got them there in the first place. That's right. Right? I get this all the time. Like agents, they get these two, three deals in an escrow, and they're super busy. And instead of concentrating on 
business development, they are servicing the client now. I was like, dude, I mean, what are you doing? Like, yeah, these two, three deals will close. What about your next month, two months? Where's your pipeline? Right? So for me, when I would get a deal on the escrow, it was like, hey, you know what? It's done. I got to find another deal. I got to find another deal. I got to find another deal. And I was not happy at the end of the year. Yeah, I sold 16 homes and the average agent sells about four or five, but I was not happy. So what I did is I said, you know what? I'm going to double my production next year. So in 2014, I doubled my production to 35 homes. Now, I was working 65, 70 hours a week, which is fine, but I doubled my production. And I still felt I was incomplete. So I said, you know what? I'm going to double my production again. So in 2015, I sold 75 homes, $21 million in sales. Me and my assistant. Right? But I'm constantly thinking, all right, this is not enough, not enough. All right, how can I make more? How can I generate more? How can I close more? But not, not, en not enough for what though? Like some people may be listening to this and like, okay, wow, me 21 million, even if he got paid three, four, five percent, that's a nice chunk of change. But enough for what? What, what does enough mean for you? For me, it's not about the money. Right. So what is it's it? about constantly challenging myself and getting better and more efficient and more productive in everything that I do in my life, right? In business, right? Like, for example, after 2015, I said, look, I can continue doing this and I can probably sell 100 homes solo. I'll make a million dollars. Cool. Or I can build a team around me. And in 2016, I started building a team. And that's, by the way, a whole show on its own. It's like a two hour, three hours. I can tell you the, the good, the bad, the freaking disastrous, ugly stuff that I have encountered in the last two and a half, three years building a team. And whoever is inspiring or thinking of building a team, whether they're in the real estate business, insurance business, mortgage business, call me. I can <laughs> share a few things that hopefully you know, will help you not to make those mistakes, right? Yeah, stay away from recruiting divas, number one. Yeah, exactly. fo Focus on the hungry and attitude instead of the skill, too. <laughs> yeah, well, like I said, That's right, it. before, That's we've got to be focusing on the patterns, right? Not on the potential. And I made mistakes initially focusing on the potential, and you got to look at the pattern. Like, for instance, right now, just to kind of give you an idea how we recruit agents, right? So we meet with an agent. Uh, my recruiter does the initial consultation over the phone, then uh, my ops manager meets with the agent. Then if let's say that agent checks pretty much most, if not all of the boxes, I meet with the agent. Then that agent has to go through our entire week of what we call shadowing, right? They're testing our team. So they attend our team meeting, they attend our workshop, they attend my role play session, they shadow one of our senior agents, and after the entire week on Friday, we come back, we sit down, and we assess and see if this is something they want to continue with or this is not a good fit and vice versa, by the way. Did you automate this process already or it's all in person? It's all in person. Why don't you automate it? We could, but it's all in person. The reason we want to, we want to, we got, we want to see them. We want to feel them. No, 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 no. You will, you will, you will see them. Hopefully, you're not gonna feel them. But you, no, 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 you, no. Feel them. What I mean by that feeling? I, I know what you mean. I was being yeah. sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just busting your chops. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, you definitely see them, right? You definitely face to face. Absolutely, is necessary, especially in this industry. 
but I'm talking about the training process where you could, you know, track, measure, monitor, you could actually gauge the responses, have them, you know, go through the testing process after each video module. And based on those results, you will see where their mind is at, where their potential, not potential, where their capabilities are at, skill set, and also attitude. Are they goal-oriented or are they just coasting through life? You could throw stuff in like that. And after the whole process is done, you collect that information, you meet with them again, and then you put them through the orientation of the office already in person. Just, just an idea. Yeah, just an idea. Absolutely. It definitely works. Um, probably for uh, uh, a W-2 employee, uh, for a 1099 independent contractor, <laughs> trying to get them do those things, it's, 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 it's a challenge, right? Now, it's not impossible. It's not well, impossible. I, the reason I, br I bring it up is because I know of franchises in real estate that do this. But it, again, it's intermixed with face-to-face in -face interaction as well. Yeah. So, so we have our online university, uh, which is very similar to what you're telling me. Uh, um, the, the platform that we use is Teachable, right? So all of our courses, right? All of our courses, everything that we teach, workshops, all of it is uploaded there. And they're broken down by modules or sections, right? And then lectures. So they got to go through that process when they get on board. Right. In addition to our workshop, in addition to our, you know, weekly role play. So we do that. Right. But the onboarding process of getting to know that person, ideally, we want to do it as as much as possible face to face. We really, really want to dive deep and find out more about them as humans, as people. What motivates them? What drives them? What are their goals? Right. All of those things are very important for us. Right. Before we make a decision to onboard them. And spend next 30 to 60 days in training them and mentoring them and all of the other stuff that we, we usually use, right? So that's, that's the process that we have implemented about a year ago. And I tell you, um, it's so much better than it was before. Before, it was like great conversation, good meeting, and then we just hired them and oh, it, was, it, was a, it was a nightmare. Now, I see you doing a lot of stuff on social media, especially lately. You got your, um, you know, film crew uh, set up. The we, we got, we got, we, yeah, we got two videos coming out. One actually today and the second one's going to be next week. Two nice restaurants. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I've seen the first one. So, that's really cool that you actually, that's a value add. You're adding more value to potential um, buyers that are looking, right? Um, but let me ask you a question. You're doing all of this as the leader, which is great because a leader should do things and, you know, set an example. Do you train your agents how to do self branding and how to go out there and generate their own leads, establish their social media uh, presence, just like you are doing for Alan K group? Yeah, we do. We actually have a workshop on it, um, that, that we teach and we also get, um, some experts, local experts here that work with the title and escrow companies that come in and they talk about, you know, how to utilize, uh, social media platforms, you know, IE Facebook, Instagram, uh, and YouTube. Um, you know, not, not everybody is comfortable doing that, right? Not everybody's comfortable to be in front of the camera. Not everybody's comfortable, um, in, 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 in letting themselves to be out there in the public, right? Honestly speaking, I still battle with that. Well, know, I think we I mean, all do. I mean, you know, there, there are weeks where I do it and there are weeks where I'm like, you know, I got so many other things going on. I really, honestly, that's not even on my mind. Right. Yeah, so, 
I, I have to be much more consistent when it comes to that because that's where everything ends, if you think about it. At the end of the day, we in the industry, and I'm talking about my industry, right, the real estate industry, we are getting bombarded by all of these disruptors, if you will, all of these companies that are getting into our space. Okay, so for instance, you have these companies like Zillow. You're sure familiar with Zillow. Of They're course. Right now, an eye buyer, they buy homes here in the Valley. Open Door's been around for three years. They buy homes. Um, Offerpad is another company. They buy homes here locally. And then you have a flat fee companies like Homey, um, Purple Bricks. I'm sure you heard about them. No, um, I haven't. They're flat fee companies. So they're all getting into this space. A lot of them have a VC backing um, and, and they want to disrupt this industry. So here's what's happening. And what's happening is that a lot of sellers and buyers hearing all this noise, hearing all of the stuff coming their way. And before it was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to call my, my real estate agent. But now it's like, you know what? Maybe I'll go online and find out how much my house is So you worth. actually have more uh, competition, so to speak. Much, yeah. much more competition. And yeah. then on top of it, you have over 50,000 real estate agents, licensed real estate agents here in a valley. Imagine this, like 52 or 53,000 real estate agents, right? So there's a lot of noise. There are a lot, there's a lot of Phoenix is, is a hotbed for a lot of technology companies that are getting into the space. Phoenix is a big, huge market. Like, so we have a lot of real estate agents. So there are a lot of options. There are a lot of choices, right? So you, the point I'm making is you as a real estate agent nowadays, you have to be able to differentiate yourself. And it's much more than, hey, I got the best looking tool or I, you know, I have the best commission or uh, I got the best marketing materials. No, it's got to be all about your brand. It's got to be you personally advertising and promoting your brand. Which is something you've done very well. In your community also, this is also very important, like community, like the community has to know you. You're almost going to have to become like a digital mayor, if you will, of your community. So this way, when they think about real estate, they're thinking Alan Kay versus Open Door or Zillow or whoever it is. So that's critical. And I think anyone that's trying to get into this business and want to have a differentiator factor, if you will, a unique selling proposition Business, I'm talking about personal branding or business branding is the key, is the key. That's how you're going to be able to differentiate or separate yourself from all of the herd, from all of that noise. Now, is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it time consuming? Yeah, it is. But it's worth right? it. But it's worth it. Absolutely. Right? So your, 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 your thing was about the videos that I'm doing and they actually are outside of real estate industry. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's spotlighting, it's featuring local restaurants in my community. But it's a value add. So if I'm it's looking at add. these videos and I'm in, you know, whatever, Chicago, Jersey, or New York, and I'm considering of moving there and I'm seeing an agent, I don't even know you, but I'm seeing this video. Now I'm seeing what's available. I'm like, huh, that's very interesting, honey. Let's, you know, let's check out that location. So it's definitely right. a value add. That's why when I saw it, I complimented you right away because I, I definitely see value in what you're doing. Right. And creating yeah, I mean, a mindset of independence uh, for your team where you're encouraging to think independently, to brand themselves. Because at the end of the day, it's also, it's helping your brand, the Alan K Group. How many agents do you have working with you right now? 
Right now we have uh, 15 agents. You have 15 agents. Yeah, 15 agents in our team, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's great. And you're growing. So, yeah, we, we're growing. The goal is by the end of the year, we want to add another 15, maybe 20 uh, to our team. You know, so we're, we're, we're definitely on a, on a growing path. I mean, we have all the systems in place. We have the personnel in place. We have an office, um, um, the workstations, leads. Um, I mean, again, training, mentorship, you know, Everything is in place for us to just scale. I mean, there's just no other way around it. But we also, again, want to make sure that the people that we're getting on board um, are, are the right fit for us. You know, I make mistakes before where I just hired the wrong people, right? And um, it didn't work out. It backfired. It slowed us down. Just too much resources, right? Spend. Um, and that's not going to be the case. Now, we're going to make mistakes. There's still going to be people that, you know, probably not going to be a right fit. but that's part of uh, it's part of the process part of the process Which is and we fine. have to trust the process we have to trust the process um, so yeah I mean look the, the video part of it again it's I there are a bunch of agents that are doing them you know there's a saying in our business uh, R&D um, it's rip off and duplicate rip off and duplicate one thing that I learned is do not reinvent the wheel just just Look at somebody who does something that you want to do I do and just way. model it and just model it, man. It's like I tell this to my agents, right? Like, look, guys, if you guys want to be where I'm at, okay, just model me. Just model me. That's it. Now, don't take everything that I do because I'm my own person and your approach may be different than mine, but just model me, right? So that's why it's so important to surround yourself with mentors the people that are doing it at the higher level, right? And, and rip off and duplicate. This video thing concept in New York, that's gonna be a killer, man. If you're a real estate agent in New York, for, instance, for example, or an insurance agent or a loan officer, just go out to your community, man. Talk to the local restaurants. You that's know? right. That's it. That's right. No big deal. It's, it's like literally one hour thing, no big deal. Anyway, is is it a secret what your team is doing in volume uh, on annual basis right now? No, I mean this year we're we are projecting at around between two hundred and thirty and two hundred and forty transactions. That's over sixty five million dollars in sales. That's for two thousand nineteen. Yeah, last year we did one hundred and fifty four. That's impressive. Right, so over forty million dollars in sales. Um, again, it also will depend on the number of agents we're going to be able to recruit by the end of the year. Cool. You know, Another quick question for yeah. you. It's more of a personal question. Nobody wants to make the same mistakes that we've made before, right? None of us. Yeah. We, we, it's a learning process. Uh, nobody wants to go through the pain that we went through before. You mentioned struggles and stuff like that. And we know a dip is coming up, an economical dip. Yeah. Do you have enough information not to go through 2008 all over again? Oh, yeah. Are you, are you more prepared this time? Yeah, I mean, you know, are you going to be all, like prepared 100%? Probably not because we don't know where, how right. bad it's going to be, how it's going to hit, when, you know, all of those things, right? So the key thing for me, for example, is the fact that like with real estate, prior to 2008, I was buying real estate, basically betting an appreciation, right? Like if my mortgage was $2,000, my tenant was paying $1,500 and every month I was contributing $500. Right. 
thinking, oh, you know what, big deal. At the end of the year, I can still sell it and make 30, 40 grand on it, right? Right. So it was a lot of that. Now, when I buy a real estate uh, for rentals, for example, I'm, I'm putting down 20%. So, so you're making sure cash, your rent roll is higher than your mortgage payment, of course, in your taxes. Every, I'm cash flowing on every property on average between $350 and $400 a month, cash flowing. So that, that's the biggest one right there, right? Another thing is like, look, if you got lines of credit, the line of credit is there ideally for you just in case, right? But if you say you're growing, you can use it, but do not use line of credit like, like every day for like credit cards, whatever it is, right? You just don't do that. Yeah, like most people okay? did in 2006, 2007, right. 2005. Another thing is, I, again, you got to live, you know, beyond, like, like you got to live within your means. And what I mean by that is I have people that I know that right now are buying, let's say, 1.2, 1.3, 1.5 million dollar homes. And I know where they work and I kind of know what they make. And now for you guys in New York audience, 1.2, 1 1.3, you're like, oh, that's like a starter home for us. Hmm. Here in Phoenix, it's, the, you know, it's a lot of home, right? So my point I'm making is the fact that like, Right now, we're almost kind of at the peak of the real estate market. Why do you want to buy something that may possibly go down by 10 or 15 or 20%? Right. It doesn't make sense. Just stay within your means, right? Don't go beyond your means, right? And I hope I was able to answer your question. No, you um, didn't. Absolutely. You're, you're more, the anticipation is there. You're more, it is being more prepared because before we didn't anticipate. You know, if you had five homes back then, I actually over leveraged and I got two and lost both of them. And start, yeah. to, say, to say starting from the bottom wasn't it because we were in the negative, you know, and so were you. So it was most of the country. Yeah. So it was most exactly. of the I, I know guys that were rolling high, driving in their, you know, S550s or S500, whatever it was back then. And then after that happened, and unfortunately, that was the only thing they had left and they ended up sleeping in it, in, in right. that car. So it was right. very unfortunate for a lot of people, you know, on retail, on sales, and all over. So um, where can people find you? Are you on social media? Well, I know you're on, on Facebook. How, how can people find you? Um, you know, on Facebook, I mean, Alan Kushmarkov is my personal page. Alan K Realty Group is my business page. I have another page called lead uh, gen agents lead gen agents that's another facebook page and a website leadgenagents.com where I, I i upload um you know uh, educational videos uh for our industry um not that heavy into instagram uh but we're we're going to be working on that and, and, and um um and then um my other page again that's almost kind of hobby page but i enjoy it i like it is west valley eats that's a facebook page that's where uh, we uh, feature uh, local restaurants, um, you know, which is kind of cool and everything like that. So we have, uh, in the last couple of months, we have over, over 2,000 likes um, already. So that's kind of nice. Um, I mean, look, again, I'm, 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 I'm open book. I, I'm very accessible. Um, private message me, DM me, doesn't matter. Um, you know, and if you have any questions, if you're an entrepreneur, a starting entrepreneur, um, look, I've been in your shoes and still in your shoes. Probably I can, I can help you. 
you know um i can share my uh my mistakes you know and and hopefully a little bit of knowledge uh, but um yeah um that's it i mean and um you know it was uh i tell you i told you we had a hard stop at 10:15 but i completely like spaced out um thanks for letting me know <laughs> well, I did let you know before when I was trying to wrap it up. I, I got one last question for you because we can't end this that episode. Means, that, that means it was a it was a good interview, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it. it. Yeah. One yeah. last question for you, Alan. What yeah. does the word influence mean to you? Um, what comes to mind first? I, I I think you know making impact in person's life, and um, you know. That's very important, I believe. And I think that, I believe that if, if you have somebody that maybe does not really see their potential, if you influence them the right way, they're going to be able to see that potential. And when they, they see that potential, I think they're going to be able to um, take action, right? And when they take action, they're going to be able to see some amazing results. I think the biggest thing that we have to always focus on is the fact that nothing happens overnight. I think we as society, as people, we give up too soon and too quickly. And I think that everything ideally are almost kind of like a 90 day cycles, right? If you do it for 90 days and I know in the first month or two, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get disappointed. You're going to start questioning the process, but give it 90 days, no matter what you try, whether it's, you know, going to the gym or, or saving money or um, um, starting a lead generating source, whatever it is, give it 90 days, go hardcore, give 110%, uh, you're going to see results. But if not, at least, you know what, in that 90 day period, you probably improved by at least 5, 10, 20, 30, 40%. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's that. I mean, it's just, you know, one thing that I can say is like, look, man, um, you know, this is a journey. Um, nothing happens overnight and, and, you know, trust the process. That's it. You definitely you know? got to trust the process. I, I go back to yeah. a phrase when I first heard when I started in real estate, it was like, make a goal to make a million dollars, but not for the sake for the, of a million, but for the person you will become on the way to that million. Yeah. So definitely yeah. Got, trust the process. Yeah. Trust the process. And again, we like, like we entrepreneurs, I think we have these lofty goals, right? And hopefully we do have big, uh, hairy, audacious goals, if you will, right? We have these, but I think that we, uh, as entrepreneurs, I think we overestimate what we can achieve in one year and underestimate what we can do in five years because That's we fun. want that instant gratification. We want that, oh, you want, I want to have 20,000 followers or I want to sell five houses in a month. I want to do this, I want to do that. You know, in one year, I want to sell 100 houses. Well, you know what? That probably is unrealistic if you sold four houses last year. But in five years, you can sell probably 200 homes if, let's say, every year you increase your you know, business by 20, 30, 40%. That's possible. Or doubling like so, you did. Or double. So overestimating the first year and underestimating five years is a big thing in anything in life. Anything. Right. right. So that's, that's another interesting thing. So. Cool. Hey, Alan, man, I appreciate your time. I know we went over a little bit, but it was all good. 
Guys, thank you so much for uh, listening to this episode. Definitely go and follow Alan. You will not regret it. He's got some really great content. I'm paying attention. I'm not even real in real estate. You will definitely appreciate the information. If you're anywhere within the vicinity of where they are recruiting, highly encourage you to go join Alan K Group because based on the training they provide, based on the exposure they're giving their team, you will not be disappointed. Thanks again, and I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast already, please show us your support by subscribing and leaving a positive review to help us advance on the chart. You can always connect with me on social media by searching for Rafael Mavi at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. If you have any questions or just want to drop a line, the fastest way to get a hold of me is through my Instagram. Until next time.